We've been doing a series on Wednesday nights, um, taking different subjects that the Bible gives us as um, ways to measure uh, characteristics of how we measure up in those subjects. Um, And we're calling the series, How Do I Measure Up? And, of course, we know that we don't measure ourselves by ourselves. Uh, we, we don't measure ourselves by the fact that I'm better than so-and-so, or uh, in comparison to this person, I'm, I'm at this level spiritually. We don't compare like that. That's not the measure of success in the Christian life. The measure of success is when we take our life and we lay it alongside of Scripture, and we look at the measuring marks of Scripture, and we find out how do we measure up to it. And so we've been doing uh, now three weeks uh, on this subject, on, on that uh, idea of how do I measure up. And uh, we've dealt now with uh, the topic of faith. We've dealt with uh, the topic of how we measure up when it comes to our Bible reading. And the Bible has a lot to say about uh, these topics, what will characterize someone uh, who is growing in the Christian life in the area of faith, uh, someone that is growing in the Christian life with regards to uh, their Bible reading, and uh, we'll have several other subjects. I'm not sure exactly how long the series will go. I've got at least three other subjects right now that are uh, either finished or in the works being prepared uh, for those weeks, and I want to encourage you, uh, if you're not able to come on Wednesday night, and I know with it getting dark earlier, some people don't travel uh, at night, uh, especially with the uh, night vision not being as good as it used to be, and I can relate to that. Uh, there's sometimes I stumble coming across the parking lot, <laughs> and uh, so I can relate to that. But if you're not able to, uh, could I encourage you? We 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 put them on Facebook. If you need to, to know how to get there, you can talk to Brother Keith in the back. He'll teach you or he'll show you how to get there and find those. Um, but uh, I would encourage you. It, it will do us well to begin to measure ourselves regularly by Scripture. And see how we measure up. And it will quickly show us uh, areas that we need to grow in, uh, things we need to strive for. <clears throat> and I want to encourage you in that. And then for Sunday school uh, at 10 o'clock, we're going through the Psalms. And we are just finished this morning Psalm 10. And uh, so if you want to join in on that study, uh, you're not too late. There are a few more chapters than 10 in Psalms, in case you didn't know. Uh, we'll probably be on it for a year or two, I would imagine. But each psalm just is rich and has a material, a wealth of material and truth that God has given to us in them. And uh, we're going to take uh, usually one psalm a week. Occasionally it goes two weeks on a single psalm. Um, but I want to encourage you, uh, if you don't normally come on Sunday school, uh, perhaps either plan on coming or, again, uh, tune in on Facebook and listen to those uh, I, I had a professor in college tell me one time if I would read one psalm a day, it would change my life. And at the time, I was in the habit of reading one proverb a day and rotating them through the days of the month. And uh, I began to read one psalm a day, have done that uh, now for many years. Uh, and it's amazing uh, the work that it does in your heart. Um, convicting work sometimes. Uh, but also times of just putting our eyes on the Lord and His Word and uh, just kind of elevates those things in our hearts and in our minds. And uh, God's people uh, need to be stirred about who God is once again 
and about who, what His Word is all about and uh, be excited about those things again. And uh, it'll do that for you. Galatians chapter 2, if you will. And we don't have a, a long, profound message today, but one that is uh, certainly a truth that I believe God would want us to have in our hearts and our lives. Galatians chapter 2, we're going to read just a couple of verses, and uh, then we'll be looking at some other verses in the chapter. We'll begin in verse number 20, a uh, very familiar passage a lot of people have memorized and could probably quote. The Apostle Paul writes this, he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness came uh, come by the law then Christ is dead in vain. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. I pray that Your Holy Spirit will use it this morning to instruct our hearts and to strengthen the faith of those that are saved and to bring to light some things that we need to know once we're saved. And for those that are here today and have never trusted You as their Savior, that they don't know if they were to die right now that they would go to heaven, then Lord, may You take the truth from this passage and help them to see that need and for your Holy Spirit to bring conviction to their heart to get that matter settled today. And so, Father, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The setting of this particular um, chapter, if you will, uh, is in... uh, It's actually the Apostle Paul correcting an issue of the day. Um, What had happened in the early churches, um, because the the gospel message had gone primarily to the Jews first. Now, it didn't mean that there were no Gentiles saved. There were some. But the message of the gospel was being preached by the apostles primarily to the Jewish people up until this time of the Apostle Paul. And as they were uh, preaching this gospel message, they were steeped in a lot of tradition. They were steeped in a lot of issues regarding the Old Testament law and practices that they did by the Old Testament law. Many of them either had done those earlier in their lives, such as the issue of circumcision, uh, which God had uh, commanded the nation of Israel to practice. Uh, Others were uh, practices of the law that a lot of times people would continue to practice and observe, uh, even though they were saved, uh, not in order to stay saved or to be saved, but because they were good things to do um, and certainly brought glory to the Lord. What, what ended up happening in the early churches, though, was uh, there, there came a, a group of people uh, that would teach what they called Judaism. And what Judaism was, was they were taking the grace of God and they were adding to it uh, the works of the law. And they were saying, in order to be saved, you have to have both. And it was creeping in as, as a false teaching in the early church. And this is kind of where Paul uh, enters the scene. God calls him specifically to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Uh, Not to say that he did not reach some Jews. He did. But his primary focus of his ministry uh, was to the Gentiles. Peter was the apostle that God used uh, very instrumentally and as kind of a leader of the apostles, if you will, uh, for the movement to reach the Jewish people. (coughs) 
Now, keep in mind here that uh, they're, they're trying to mix um, works and grace together uh, when the Gentiles are being brought in uh, to the gospel message. So let's go back to verse 1 a minute. We're going to read 16 verses, okay? So bear with me, stay with me, because I want you to see what it is that Paul is combating, because it will give us a setting for the truth that we're going to find in verses uh, 20 and 21 in just a moment. Then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also, and I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. And so what Paul is saying by that is he went back to Jerusalem. He's been out preaching now missionary journeys. He's established churches. He's seen a lot of people saved. And what he's saying here is he went back to Jerusalem, spent some time among the leadership of, of reputation, those that uh, would be like Peter and some of those guys, uh, and he wanted to share with them the gospel that he had been preaching to make certain that it was in line, that there were no, no problems with it. By the way, I think there's, a, there's always a benefit for God's people, whether it be a pastor or whether it be someone that is a member of a church uh, or a Sunday school teacher, for us to always check what we're preaching against the truth of Scripture and make certain, in fact, if we're teaching anything that's not coming from those Scriptures, we are open and prone to error. And so it's vitally important. And Paul comes back and he wants to check with these apostles, many of them who were writing themselves Scripture at that time and uh, were giving, given revelation from God. In verse 3 he says, But neither Titus who was with me, being a Greek. So Titus is a Gentile. He's not a Jew. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. So when they went back to Jerusalem, Titus is saved. He's trusted Christ as a Savior. They do not require him to be circumcised. All right, so keep that in mind because that's going to bear later on in the passage here. And that because of false brethren, unawares, brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. And he's speaking here specifically of them keeping the law in the area of circumcision. (coughs) Paul's position was we have liberty in Christ. We don't have to be circumcised in order to be saved. We don't have to keep the law in order to be saved. And he'll say that a little bit clearer later on. Verse number 5, To whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. So they, they didn't give place to those things. They didn't, they didn't let it bother them. But of these who seemed to be somewhat, whosoever, uh, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepteth no man's person. So it didn't matter what level of affluence or influence they had. It didn't matter. He says, for they who seemed to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought uh, effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me towards the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars... (coughs) perceived the grace 
that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. So up until this point, these leaders at Jerusalem said, Paul, you're, you're fine. You're doing well. Just make sure you remember the poor and keep preaching the gospel. You don't have to be circumcised. Okay, so up until now, that's where they're at. Verse 11 changes. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that, certain came from James. He did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. In other words, they, they were eating with Gentiles who had been saved. But when certain men of influence came, they separated themselves from those Gentiles because they had not yet been circumcised. They were putting an undue burden on them. And other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. So even Barnabas follows after this for a little bit. But when, when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou being a Jew livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? So remember back when God sent the vision to Peter and brought the food down, and Peter said, I'm not going to eat anything that's unclean. And God said, don't call what I created unclean. Uh, rise, bless it, and eat it. And so he was taught a lesson that he was not under that law anymore, that there was liberty now. Uh, and so Peter was able to live after the Gentiles. Well, why was Peter now requiring the Gentiles to live after the Jewish law? This is what Paul was confronting him about. And so he says in verse number 15, he says, We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not, notice this, justified by the what? Works of the law. But by the what? Faith of Jesus Christ. Now we have two things here. We have the works of the law and we have the faith of Jesus Christ. And what the, Jude the people that were teaching Judaism were saying is, you have to have both in order to be saved. By the way, that teaching is prevalent today. There are people that will say, you must keep the law. You cannot sin in order to be saved. That is never, 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 never the case. We get saved in order to be able to not have to sin. Now, we're still going to sin and we should, we should fight that and, and go against that thing. But there's a, there's a problem here where people begin to say, well, you need to keep the law and have the grace of God. Well, Paul confronts that. <clears throat> he says, in knowing that a man, verse number 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the what? By the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be 
justified. I spent some time here a number of months ago on the subject of repentance because it gets so misconstrued in our day and age. Um, Repentance, when it comes to its usage regarding salvation, is not saying that you have to forsake your sin in order to be saved. Jesus was teaching His disciples, and His definition of sin was that sin is the transgression of the law. That means that if I am to keep the law, I would not be sinning or I would be forsaking sin. Well, it is not that that saves us. Paul says it right here, the keeping of the law, in the keeping of the law shall no man be justified. It is simply by the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that does not mean that there is not required repentance for salvation. The Bible tells us that it's required for salvation. But what is repentance? Repentance is not forsaking the sin. Repentance is turning from a position of unbelief or not trusting Christ for your salvation to trusting Christ with your salvation. It is a 180 degree turn of mind. It is a decision that is made. It is not the keeping of the law that saves you. Now, that being said, Paul goes on to teach that because we're saved, we ought to keep the law. We ought to do that which is right. We ought to live righteously. We ought to live holy. But what happens is we get the root and the fruit mixed up. Some people say, well, the root is keeping the law and the fruit is salvation. That is backwards. The root is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that brings salvation. Titus chapter 2. And the fruit of that salvation is the good works. Don't get that confused, folks. We are People in good, solid Bible preaching Baptist churches get this wrong from Scripture. Please don't miss this. Paul is extremely clear here in Galatians chapter 2 that it is not by the keeping of the law that we're justified. And in fact, he says, no man shall be justified by those works. And so he goes on to say this. In verse 17, he says, But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. If we sin after we're saved, then that would mean that God's a... Uh, that that uh, and and we were to forsake our sin, then God would have to be a, a minister of sin if that was the case required for salvation. He says, "For I build, if I build again these things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I through the law, notice this, am what dead to the law, that I might live unto God." You've got to have both of those statements in that verse in order to be right. Dead to the law so that you can live unto God. Then comes this famous verse that many people quote, many people read, and they oftentimes do not fully understand. And that is this. I am crucified with Christ. Crucified to what? Crucified to the old nature. Crucified to the... Burden, the imprisonment, the entanglement of keeping the law. 
He says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the what? Faith of the Son of God. Now that faith of the Son of God produces good works. You see where we're going with this? Nowhere in teaching of repentance did I ever say that we should not have good works. But it should be the fruit of salvation, not the root of salvation. Not the foundation of our salvation. In verse 21 it says, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in what? In vain. He wouldn't have even needed to die. If all I needed to do was forsake sin and keep the law to be saved, then God didn't even need to send Jesus to die. I could have done it on my own. I could have made my own way. Now, there's three things I want us to look at here. And if you have a pen, if you will, I would encourage you to underline. If you're in the habit of underlining something in your Bible, I want us to look at a couple things here. First of all, I want you to look at the very first two words of verse number 20. Paul says this, I, what? I am. I am gives the implication of I'm something different now in the present than I used to be in my past. And and Paul is speaking here of the fact that there's a life that he's living right now that is not the same as the life that he lived before the Lord Jesus. Uh, Hold your place here for a minute. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Paul explains this probably a little bit more clearly, I guess, or or more detail, I would say, to the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. And uh, we'll look in verse number 9, just back a few pages from Galatians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And let's look at verse number 9. Paul writes this, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Notice this, verse 11. And such, what's the next word here? Were. That's past tense. There's what I were, and then there's what I am. It's not good grammar, but it's good theology. Uh, If I put it in the right grammar, it would be there's what I was, and now there's what I am by the grace of God. And such were some of you, notice what he says here, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of Of the Lord Jesus. So before Jesus did his miraculous work of saving grace in my life, I used to be something that I'm not today. And Paul says in Galatians 2 and verse number 20, I am, and he's going to talk about some of the things that God has caused him to be now that he didn't used to be. Now, in order for that change to take place, The Lord Jesus Christ needs to come in and reside in us and save us from our sin. This is called being saved. It's the gospel message that if we put our faith 
in the Lord Jesus and what He did for us on Calvary, His death, His burial, His resurrection, as payment in full for the penalty of the sin that I committed, and I'm trusting Him for that payment, He will save me from my sin and give me a home in heaven for eternity. I cannot trust my good works. I cannot trust my keeping of the law. Because the truth is, I will fail and so will you. So the only thing we can trust is the faith that we can put in what the Lord Jesus has done on our behalf, for us, as our substitute in the payment for our sin. So in order for us to live this life, we have to have the Lord Jesus living inside of us. But I want you to notice this. In order for those good works that Paul is teaching them that need to be done in our lives to take place, there needs to come a crucifixion of the flesh. He says this, I am crucified with Christ. Now, he wasn't this before he got saved. But now that he is saved, in this life that he is now, he says, I am crucified with Christ. I am crucified with Christ. There needs to be a crucifixion of our flesh nature. I was going to say something further on that, but I'm going to leave it for just a little bit later here. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, notice this, I live, yet not I. But what? Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the what? Faith of the Son of God. So, I'm still this side of heaven. I'm still in this body. I'm still in a corrupt world. But the life that I live now that the Lord Jesus lives inside of me, this life that I now live by the faith of the Son of God is something that He directs and not something that I used to direct. It's now His will, not my will. So there's two things here that I think I already seen. First of all, there's a distinct change that takes place when we get saved. There's what we were, and then there's what we are now. Christ makes a transforming work in a Christian's life. We don't do good works to be saved. When we get saved, there should be a desire for those good works. We should now have a longing to keep the law, to do the things that please God. Now, I'm not talking about the ceremonial law of the Old Testament. I'm talking about the moral law of God that we follow this moral law, that we, we seek to be holy, we seek to be right. And what determines the morality of something right or wrong is not society, it's not the government, but it is God Himself. And he gives us that through His Word. The second thing I want you to see, and if you're in the habit of underlining things in your Bible, is also found in verse number 20. He says, first of all, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, and here's the second one, nevertheless, I live. If you will, take a pen and underline those words. <clears throat> now notice this. One of them has to do with death. The other one has to do with life. It is not enough, and this is where I think sometimes we as God's people mess up. It is not enough for us to simply not do things or not be things. Sometimes we mess up and we identify our spirituality or we measure our spirituality by what we are not. Can I tell you this? That is part of what needs to take place, but that is not all of what needs to take place. Because whether I am living a godly life, a holy life, a 
a life that is pleasing to God is not just dependent on what I don't do, but is also dependent upon what I do. I can't just die to self. I now have to turn around and live for Christ. And Paul makes this statement. He says, I am crucified with Christ. That's the the dying of self. But notice what he says when he says, And nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth where? In me. To the Corinthian church, Paul said, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. There's a life to be lived once we have crucified the old man. We are to die to self. We're to live unto God. And so God, Paul makes this, this discernment. He says, listen, you're not under the bondage of the law. You can't, you can't put people under the burden of keeping the law in order to be saved. You're mixing up sanctification with salvation. You're mixing up how a Christian should live once they are saved with what they have to do in order to become saved. We as God's people certainly need to have a revival in our hearts of not just dying to self, but learning to live for God. For far too long, a lot of God's people have prided themselves. We've, we've patted ourselves on the back. We've lauded the fact that we are godly spiritual people because we are not this and we are not that. May I submit to you today, wouldn't it be wonderful if it could be said of us that we're living holy and righteously and godly because... Not only do we not live that way, but we live for God. We pursue after Him. The life that I now live in the flesh, he says, I live by the faith of the Son of God. What does that mean? That means I I believe whatever it is that God has told me. I believe whatever it is that Jesus has given me instruction to live by. Well, where do we find that? We find it in the Bible. We don't get new words of revelation today. We don't sit in our quiet prayer closet and God tells us something. We don't get revelation like that anymore. We read His book. We read His Word. And not only do we read it, we believe it. If it says I am what it says I am, then I believe that. If it says I need to live a way that I need to live, then I believe that. I'm going to live by faith now. I'm going to trust that this book is the guide to my life. I, I shared Wednesday night, I think it was last Wednesday morning or last Tuesday morning, I was talking with a person, um, and we got on the subject of some standards. And they didn't see certain standards, and they thought this is kind of a little too steep and too strong. And they said, now I know where your standards are. And I said, well, yeah, my standards are different from that. And uh, I said, because that's what the Bible says. And they made this statement. They said, well, you get all your standards from the Bible. And, and my question to them following that was, where do you get yours? Because the truth of the matter is, we ought to be living by the faith of the Son of God. If He's told us something in His Word, we don't sit here and wonder, should I obey that or not? We just trust it that it's true. And we say, I'm going to do that. I'm going to be obedient to what Christ has told me to do. So don't miss this 
It's not enough to just simply crucify the flesh. We preach on that a lot. You hear that in churches a lot. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. And that's in there, and we ought not do those things. But there's so little preaching, it seems like, on living now by the faith of the Son of God. To grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. To allow this book to direct our steps, to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I taught on that a few weeks ago about the idea that the lamp unto our feet shows us where we are. The light unto our path shows us where we should be. And the Word of God does both. It'll show us where we are. And it'll show us the path that we should be going down. And lastly, I want you to notice this in verse number 21. Underline these two words. I do not frustrate the grace of God. I am crucified. I live by the faith of the Son of God. And lastly, I do not frustrate the grace of God. Do you know how insulting it would be after all that the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us to provide salvation, for us to push that out of the way and say, No, Lord, I've got this. I can do it by my own good works, my own good deeds. I'll do it by keeping the law. I looked up the word frustrate in the Webster's 1828 Dictionary. And it means to nullify in some cases quite often. In fact, the, mo- the majority of the usage is to nullify, to make void, to make it of none effect. In fact, Paul states it here. He says, then Christ is dead, what? In vain. If it was the keeping of the law that would have gotten us saved, then there was no reason for the Lord to to die, was there? Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2 for just a moment. Just to the right, a few pages, probably two or three pages in your Bible. Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read a few verses here very quickly and we'll be done. Paul writes this, he says, And you hath he quickened. Now the word quickened is an old English word. And it gives the idea of giving life, making alive. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world. That's how we used to walk. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So not only is it something we used to do, but it's something people that are not saved yet are still doing. And sad to say, it's the way some people who are even saved are still walking. Among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, this was our nature, the children of wrath, even as others. I'm thankful for verse number 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by keeping the law. Is that what your Bible says? No, mine doesn't either. By what? By grace. 
ye are saved. And hath raised us up together. There's where, there's where this sanctifying work takes place. After God's grace has been given to us. Hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We do not get saved by the keeping of the law. For we are His workmanship, notice this, created in Christ Jesus unto what? Good works. So notice the progression. We are saved by grace... And then we are set apart as His workmanship unto good works. Not the other way around. Sometimes when I preach on topics like this, people leave and all they heard at the beginning of the message was, we are not saved by keeping the law. And they, they can't get that out of their mind. And they think, well, pastor's preaching heresy or scriptures out of the context. No. I'm not saying that there shouldn't be good works in a Christian's life. I'm just saying that that doesn't bring salvation. It is now the fruit of that salvation. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we... What? That we should walk in them. Do not frustrate the grace of God. Don't get this thing backwards. Don't be like these Jews and even Peter and even Barnabas who we look at as men. Peter even wrote some of our Scripture. And yet he was wrong on this issue. I'm thankful he got it right. Where you began to start requiring the law, the keeping of the law in order to get saved. I am something today because of the grace of God that I didn't used to be. In order to be what I am today, I'm going to need to crucify the old nature and I'm going to need to live unto God. In order to be a Christian that is pleasing to Him, I must do both. Not to get saved, but because I am. And then I don't want to frustrate the grace of God. I've been set apart unto good works. Again, not for my salvation. But God has before ordained them that we should. We should. It's His will. It's His desire. It's what He wants for every single one of us. Once we trust Him as our Savior, we have been ordained to walk in these good works. I know a lot of Christians who say, well, God doesn't care how I live as long as I love Him with my heart. God knows my heart. No, no. God does care how you live. I know that we're none of us what we should be, but we ought to be becoming every single day what we should be. We ought to be pressing toward that mark. We ought to be pursuing after that life. 
of a life that is pleasing to Him. I'm thankful that I am not what I used to be by the grace of God. And because of that, I want to die to myself and I want to live unto Him. And I do not want to frustrate His grace. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I don't know if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. I have never trusted Christ as my Savior. I've never made that decision in my life, but I'd sure like to get that matter settled. I promise you I'm not going to embarrass you. I don't have a piano here today, so we're not going to have the piano play, but I wonder with heads bowed and eyes closed and no one's looking around, I wonder if there's anybody here who'd say, Pastor, I don't know if I'm saved or not, but I'd sure like to know. Would you pray for me so I can uh, have the courage to get that matter settled today? Is there anybody like that here today that would just simply raise your hand and say, Pastor,